Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey, leaders, welcome to episode 45 of the Leadership Matters Podcast. My name's Jeremy, and I'm so excited to be with you again. I've got a real treat for you today another interview from our Tim series. And if you're not sure what TIMS is, I'm not talking about the coffee shop famous here in Canada. I'm talking the acronym stands for This Is My Story. We've done uh, one or two of these before, but I, I had the opportunity recently to sit down with a couple who've been uh, both been involved in, in ministry over the years, but with completely different contexts that they're coming from. Now joined together as a unit, married. And one has years of experience in the music industry. Um, you may recognize this. Sorry, I got to apologize. I got lost in the moment there for a second. Uh, there might be many of you that actually don't. Um, that sound is not familiar to you, and that's okay. But this, this man's spouse, his, his wife today, she comes from a completely different context of ministry. One that was spent um, many different seasons of her life on the mission field in Haiti, actually. And so we've got these, these two people, um, both stories of pain, broken relationships, shame, but more recently of, of God's grace, his redemption, and the hope that they've found uh, in in God. And so this is just a powerful, powerful story. I encourage you, if you're uh, married in ministry today, you might want to grab your spouse and, and uh, listen together. This is just an awesome story. And so it's my privilege. Let's have a listen to my conversation with Elvin and Joy Slaughter, who also happen to be my aunt and uncle. Here they are. Uh, I think this is actually a first for me, actually having a family member on the podcast. And so I've got my Aunt Joy, Uncle Alvin. I won't call them that for the rest of the podcast, but uh, Aunt Joy is a sister to my dad. And, uh, and they just have a really, really powerful story of just God's grace, his redemption, his work in our lives. And they've both been heavily involved in ministry. Elvin has a very uh, strong, you've probably heard of him uh, before, Elvin Slaughter has a great music career and heavily influenced around the world through music. And uh, Joy has been an impact and heavily involved in ministry as well in all sorts of different avenues. One being a major mission work in Haiti, even lived there for a while. And so both of these have had, both of these leaders have had global impact at various times in their life and still do to this day. And so it's my pleasure and honor to introduce them to you, Joy and Elvin Slaughter. So welcome guys to the podcast. So great to have you here. Hi, Jeremy. Thank, Thank you. you. Jeremy. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Well, I'm, we're going to get right into it for the sake of time. So I'm wondering if you guys could just give us a, just a snapshot of what you guys are currently up to, maybe where you're living and just what you both are involved with in your everyday lives today. Well, right now we reside in Orchard Park, New York, um, USA. And when the pandemic happened, everything kind of shut down. So I made a career change, a ministry change, and um, I furthered my education 
I went back and I got my New York State license and I'm currently working in a dialysis treatment center. So okay. I'm treating uh, everyday uh, work. I'm treating uh, patients and cleaning their blood who have end stage uh, renal failure. So I feel like my ministry uh, goes with me everywhere yeah. and I'm really wired to give hope and reach down to the down and out um, mm -hmm. and really give them hope because we can live without food. I've worked in missions, as you said, I, we can live without food for many days and go a while without uh, water and things, but I find you can find ways to survive um, living on very limited amounts of food. But when you lose your hope, mm. you just, you just can't find your footing in anything. Wow. Everything looks bleak. So I love to give people hope wherever I am. So that's currently what I'm up to. Yeah. Wow. And I'm a, um, I'm a full-time <laughs> husband. Well, well, you know, I spent most of my year traveling on most of my life traveling on the road over the last 30 years. Of course, with last year with COVID, uh, traveling was not something that was going to happen. And this year, um, I haven't done any traveling at all with, with COVID and stuff. But also, um, I started a business with real estate financing and stuff like okay. that. Um and then we did have some dates to do, but then we can probably talk about it later. I had a, a, a health emergency happen, which canceled everything. Uh, mm. But I think that uh, in this season, you know, because God doesn't waste anything. Yeah. The, big, the biggest thing I think is that my biggest uh, ministry right now is learning to be a, a, a great husband and a support to uh, to my wife and, and to our family. So. Uh, wow. That's where we are in the last year or so. Wow. Well, that was uh, that was worth worth the podcast right there. We could probably sign off right now. Just you guys already talked about hope and how powerful that is, and then the fact that God doesn't waste anything. I mean, I think that's a wrap. Um, we can call it a day. And, good night, uh, everybody. <laughs> oh, so good. Well, uh, that's great, and uh, and no shock to me just knowing a little bit about you both, um, that you both are, are still involved um, just in various aspects of ministry and giving people hope and the fact that recognizing, again, like you said, Elvin, that God does not waste any season of our lives. Um, so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm wondering if we could start maybe back uh, as far back as you guys want to go. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me, but I know you both have some some unique stories as individuals and some of the things you've been through, disappointments, pains, hurts, um, but also God's redemption and His grace and mercy in our in our lives and in your stories. And so maybe we'll start with you, Joy. I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit, you know, kind of the Coles notes. We don't have to uh, spend an hour talking about your entire story, but give us the the really pivotal moments for you. And I'm not just talking pivotal in, in, in terms of good. I'm talking some of the painful. But again, how God doesn't waste anything and can turn that and use it for our good. So talk to us a little bit about your journey over the past number of years. Well, probably when I was around 12 or 13, um, my dad wasn't in ministry yet. And, or my parents weren't in ministry yet. And so I had grown up with the same friends, kind of going to the same church. Um, my siblings were all living at home. And then when I turned around 13, 14, my parents went into full-time ministry mm. and they moved um, way up north. 
So that same year, I believe my eldest brother, Lynn, um, he went to Bible college. Um, your dad got married. My older sister got married. So that was a huge transition in my life. And then, um, and then after that, your oldest sister was born right around that time. Well, then we made a move way up north. I changed all my friends. I changed my school. Um, everything changed. Hmm. So now it was just me and my youngest brother, Trevor, in the house. We moved way up north into this really tough area. There were a lot of drugs and nothing to do. We were kind of in the right. boonies. And I remember going to high school and all of a sudden now, my dad went from being this cool guy who raced stock cars and owned his own business and was just preaching from time to time to being a sure. full-time pastor. That changed the course of my life. And, and I'm not blaming them. I'm saying it was sure. so exciting for them to go into ministry. So exciting. And I understand that feeling myself, how exciting that is. But for me as a child, well, young person going into high school and changing friends. And it was a tough crowd. I wanted to fit in. Those are the years you want to fit in. And I started, um, I didn't feel like I was angry with my parents. I just wanted to fit in. And I remember trying to prove to all of these kids at school that I was the cool one. And I remember them being shocked. They were the unsaved kids being shocked by some of the things I was doing. Wow. And I just wanted to prove I was not a pastor's daughter. And I started smoking, drinking, partying, doing drugs. Um, I ended up, to make a long story short, having a teenage pregnancy, dropping out of high school and all these things. And I even attempted suicide when I was expecting my first child, my teenage pregnancy. I didn't know I was pregnant and I attempted suicide. And I remember um, the love the church ladies showed me at my parents' church and they gave me a baby shower. And the doctor had told me my son would not be born normal. And um, no, that this baby would not be born normal because at that time they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. Right. Or what. And I remember being at the parsonage at my parents' home folding all these boxes of baby clothes came in and they were little boy clothes. And I always thought I'd want a girl first, sure. but I was folding these baby clothes. And I remember looking up and I said, God, I, I know my parents believe in you, but I don't have a personal relationship. I'm just going by what they've told me. And I was very confused. And I remember looking up at the ceiling and I said, God, if you're real, I want a healthy, normal baby boy. And I continued smoking. I continued partying. I, at that point, I continued with everything because I kind of felt hopeless. Like he's not, this baby's sure. not going to be born normal anyway. Right. But I remember when that baby was born, I cried and cried that that baby was a boy and he was healthy. And I knew there was a God, there had to be a God. And that was a big turning point in my life. And four months later, I gave my life to the Lord. But, you know, I thought when you come to the Lord, everything's going to be smooth and perfect. Right. And honestly, everything turned worse for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't understand that. 
And everything began to turn worse in my life. And I went through seasons of terrible depression that no one knew about, but I knew how to go to church and put on that mask and pretend I was happy. And I was serving in the church all the time, faithfully, um, trying just to do my best with works, um, feeling like because I messed up, that that was that was um, I made my bed. I'd have to lie in it for the rest mm. of my life. And I was going to go through a season where God was punishing me for my actions. And I accepted that. I felt that's the way it was going to be. Right. And um, I just had to keep serving God. And I would probably never be totally happy inside. And I lived depressed for many years, having several breakdowns in, you know, uh, emotional breakdowns right. and went through even going on medication just to cope with different seasons of life. But, you know, it was at my worst point where I was depressed and living in depression where one Sunday, I know God called me to go to Haiti and I had never thought of being a missionary. And I fought with God inside. I said, why would you call me? They're the most hopeless people in the Western hemisphere, God, why would you call me? I don't have a great education. I haven't been to Bible college. Why would you call me when I'm hopeless to go reach these hopeless people? And I remember God speaking to me and said, because you know what it feels like. Wow. And that was one of the greatest tools for me being a missionary was my pain. My pain was the fuel that that fueled my compassion for these hopeless people. Wow. So God took some of those really tough things I'd walked through and I knew what hopeless felt like. So I could sit beside the most hopeless people and fill them with hope. And my pain felt a whole lot less when I did that because right. now I was trying to encourage them and I was forgetting in those moments, I was forgetting about my own pain. Wow. So, That's powerful. Um, I want, I want to go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago and, and I'm going to put you on the spot for a second, but you talked about once you gave your life to Jesus. And I just think this, this is so often the case and I'd just love to get your perspective on it now, years later, but you said things got worse and not better. And I know that often to be a part of people's story. It does, it's not like everything goes away and you know, it's a walk through the the, the roses or tulips or whatever expression you want to use. But um, oftentimes when we when we give our lives or we fully surrender, or whatever the case may be, we finally give in to God. Things don't, it's like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, the, the furnace, so to speak, gets turned up seven times hotter rather than less when we make that commitment to step forward and honor God. So why do you think that was for you personally? Why do you think God allow things to get worse and not remove you from the pain you were experiencing? Sometimes I don't even feel it's always God. I think it's mm. us that we have not personally grown, that right. we don't make wise decisions that like I needed to grow in myself because I was living, letting other people make decisions for my life instead of me being in charge of my life, mm. making my decisions. Wow. Okay. And a lot of things were orchestrated to cover up that teenage pregnancy, to um, cover up the sin, the shame, right. because that was like 42 years ago now. Sure. There was a lot of shame went with that. Yeah. And a lot of, so to cover it up, make it all look pretty, things happened instead of me 
being in charge and saying, no, these are my choices for my life because I'm responsible for my life. I just kind of was this weak person that let everyone kind of make me give in to what even things I didn't want to do. And listening to other people who said, God told me this instead of me knowing God's voice for me, I had to know God's voice. It's good to use others as a confirmation, but I didn't know God's voice for me. And I've had to learn that. Hmm. Wow. Talk to us just for a second. We're going to get to Elvin's story in just a moment, but you said something so powerful there, just the whole shame idea. And I've been doing some reading just about shame and, and some studying on that the past couple years in my life and just recognizing some things. I, I heard an author say one time, even the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I made a mistake. Shame says uh, I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and shame, will, as you know, shame will kill you if you don't deal with it. Um, or allow God to deal with it in your life, it can, it can literally kill you. And I've, I've seen that happen to people um, where it's, it's literally manifested through physical ailment, whatever, it will, it will knock you out. Um, talk to our listeners today just a little bit about maybe some of the ways that, that you've dealt with your shame of that teenage pregnancy. I mean, you're a PK at the time, right? So mm-hmm. there's not just the shame of, okay, you know, messed up here whatever there's also the shame of okay my dad's a minister um and you're feeling that shame of maybe the the imperfection you've now cast on mom and dad as a ministry couple right and living under that you know and what the church thinks of you and these religious people right um just talk to our listeners for a second just about maybe some of the ways that you've you've and i'm not saying that any of us ever arrive but how you've dealt with that shame well, the shame was with me, not just that shame, but the shame of even how I was living my life, because I felt like I was pretending to be happy for so many years and I was truly not happy. Okay. I was living in depression, feeling like that's a big embarrassment right there. So one shame led to another shame, to right. another shame. And I honestly felt like I was wearing this coat of shame. And I didn't really know what I was doing wrong. It's not that I was doing anything that was a sin or was wrong, but I just sure. felt like this, these mistakes I made as a teenager, and then the things that were going wrong in my Christian walk in the beginning, <clears throat> I felt like a complete failure. The way I, it, it didn't go away overnight. Um, what happened was I started reinventing my life. And it was a step by step in my thirties. I, I was still shameful. I dropped out of high school. I went back and finished high school as hard as it was. I went back and I finished high school just to say I did it. Then I started furthering my education little by little. Um, I started just um, growing in myself as a person and making these changes And, but the shame never really left. Um, And this sounds absolutely crazy because I still felt really um, like I had let people down, like I had let God down, like I wasn't, like I was a failure. I felt I lived life and my life was a failure because of all my terrible mistakes. 
this sounds really crazy, but when my code of shame left was probably at the most shameful part of my life where I should have felt the worst shame in my life, all of a sudden I experienced God's grace. And that was the year after my divorce, when Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I felt like I wasn't living life, looking at the sun through a fog, but I was really seeing the sun. And I felt like for the first time when God should have maybe really condemned me for the worst sin, It was like, I felt his love everywhere, all over me. And people showed me grace. I was never so blessed and accepted and loved by people, which maybe I couldn't see before, but I just felt all these people come around me and love me in a time when they really should have hated me. Or Mm. so I thought, Sure. and I just experienced all this love and love from God and his grace. I had never seen his grace the way I saw it before. And all that shame left, it just left. It was kind of miraculous. And I just had this inner excitement that I had never really experienced before in my life, apart Uh, from when I was a little wee kid. Sure. I felt really excited about life. Powerful. Wow. Yet I had lost everything. (laughs) Right. right. I had material possessions. Wow. But I felt excited about living, finally about living like I could live. Hmm. Oh, that's so, so powerful. And I just appreciate your authenticity and transparency and sharing a, a bit of the journey with us here today. Uh, we're going to move over to Elvin. We'll come back and, and pick the story up again, because I do want to talk about how you guys met and you've referenced, a, you know, an earlier marriage. And Elvin, you've got a story too, a journey as well. And so pre-joy talk to us a little bit about your journey um and and just life's ups and downs and kind of what you've walked through um in your life well my journey is uh nothing as bad as joy's was nothing (laughs) i mean come on come on um, (laughs) there it is (laughs) i have nothing to say well you know the thing about it is that uh you know i grew up in the ghetto they call the hood in brooklyn new york and uh, went to church all my life, went to a very traditional church. But when I turned around 12 or so, they had this Pentecostal preacher that came in and the church went from something like 50 people to about a thousand in over a year. Wow. He was a young guy and I was impacted by his ministry. He also sang, he was a preacher that sang. Okay. So we were a church that was very involved in music and uh, you didn't volunteer for anything, you were drafted. So I was drafted into the choir. Okay. That's because none of the guys wanted to be in the choir. Right, right. That was that was a little bit too too lame for us back yeah. in the day. And uh, I got in the choir, and they gave me a solo, and I sang. I never really sang before, and somehow it they seemed like they liked it. They, they had what's called the mothers of the church. They would sit there in long white dresses and white things on their head, and they'd wave their hankies. Come on. And I felt I, I felt like I was like I was like the black Elvis or something like that. <laughs> And so, so it, it kept growing from there. It just kept growing. And I got more and more involved in the music ministry of church. Uh, I still work secular jobs. Um, and then I, I met a young lady and ended up having my first child and then my second child before we got married. Okay. And I wasn't even, I think I was 21 by that time or something like that. And of course, this was back in the 70s. And you know, uh, they silenced me in the church. They made me right. sit back of the church for, for a few weeks. And I was, 
you know, I went through that whole kind of thing. But but wanting to be a good guy, I didn't want to be a, uh, uh, you know, just another statistic of some black dude from the ghetto who just fools around. Right. Um, we ended up getting married. And there really wasn't a relationship other than the other stuff that was going down. Sure. And, uh, and it went downhill from there. <laughs> and you know what? I, I can talk about me. I know that I was not the greatest husband in the world. Uh, you know, and I, I would venture to say that, you know, in terms of relationships, my knowledge of relationships stopped at the age of 21, probably even 30 years later because our relationship was not a good relationship. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that it was just as much as my fault as anyone else's. So there's no blame with anyone else. It's just, I was not a good husband. I did not know how to be a great husband. And in, in spite of that, God began to open doors in music ministry for me. And uh, I organized a, a, my own band and we'd sing around the New York City area. Things kept growing. The job I was working at, my boss, uh, loaned me some money back in, oh gosh, I don't know how long ago, how many years ago that was, to make a cassette. Uh, for those oh, yeah. who, for those who don't know what cassette is, they actually play it there. So I'll tell you. <laughs> and I made a cassette. Google it. He loaned me ten thousand dollars, which seemed like a million dollars back then. Made a cassette, and that thing just kind of took a life of its own. And before you know it, um, doors are opening where I'm not just singing anymore in the New York City area. I'm singing in New Jersey and I'm singing in Connecticut, then I'm singing in Texas and then I'm singing, and it just exploded in 1990. Before you know it, I'm traveling around the world and I'm singing, this is before, and I made my own cassette. I hadn't been with any major record company at the time. Right. I am singing on stages on Christian television. I'm singing with major uh, evangelistic ministries who have their own TV programs and it just kept growing and then eventually I was contacted by Integrity Music and uh, they offered me a, a record deal and then I, I made a number of records for them so now my music was not just domestically in the U.S. and Canada it was all over the world so I was getting invitations all over the world and for 30 years uh, it was just amazing God gave me this amazing opportunity to stand on stages from Carnegie Hall to Little Huts in South Africa to wow. uh, and everything in between. It was just amazing singing at churches of all different races and denominations. And especially when you look in the U.S. back, is have some of it now, but especially back in those days, you had race riots going on. You had all kinds of things going on. And God gave me this specific thing where I was doing a thing called praise and worship music. There weren't many people of color doing what was called praise and worship. They do what's called gospel music. Right. I did a combination of both. So it opened up doors without me even knowing it opened up doors for me to sing in churches of every different race, every different background, every different color. It was just an amazing, uh, amazing thing. And God opened that door. But the problem was I knew how to sing and I knew how to be in ministry, but my home life was shattered it was nothing uh and uh you know three children and for the most part i lived my life and let me i'll explain what i mean by that. like a bachelor i i did i traveled the world i was never home for major holidays i was not home for christmas new year's thanksgiving mother's day father's day i think i missed all my kids graduations except for one and there was two main reasons one reason was because i didn't want to go home second reason was uh because I always thought this music thing is, it can't last. It's going to end. Right, you know, right. even, after, even after 10 years of doing it initially, 
I just felt like, why are they calling me? I mean, this, this is not going to, I don't know music. I don't know a G from an X flat. I, I don't, I don't read music. I could hear songs and I, and I was writing songs, but, but I, I would sing the notes to the producers and they would kind of put things together, but I didn't feel like I was good enough to be in the places where God had opened those doors. Mm -hmm. I also knew that my relationship was, was not a good relationship. And I was doing what they were saying at that time to call those things that are not as though they are. And I kept calling those things that are not as though they were, and they were not, you know, right. And, and it got progressively worse to the point that I went through the same thing that I did uh, years ago. I went through the divorce as well. And, um, it was a traumatic experience because of course I'm in full-time ministry. And during that time, there's so many scandal things that are going on. And, and so of course you, people don't know your story. So you get lumped into a group of things. Sure. And at the time it, it, it greatly affected a lot of things. It, during that season of time, you had the real estate downturn, I'm going through divorce. And every time churches would invite me because I was doing somewhere between 150, sometimes up to 200 churches a year. And, um, wow. uh, and, and whenever a church would invite me, I would let them know. I sent them a letter and, and from our office and we told them that I'm walking through divorce. And if they don't want to invite me or to take their invitation away, then I would totally understand. And many of them did. And I don't blame them because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on and they don't know all the details. Sure. And, and sometimes you can't share all the details because there's other people involved. You know, there's other party, there's your children and family. Yeah. So it was a devastating time. But at the same time, uh, you know, you don't want to fail God. You don't want to put a blight on his name or the church. But at the same time, in, in a lot of ways, like, like Joy, I felt that if this is what I have to do to start all over again, um, then so be it. Because... I don't believe that God wants people to be divorced. And the reason why I say that is because not just because divorce is worse than is what is, is uh, worse than murder or, or worse than any other sin. Sure. It, it hurts a lot of people because a lot of people don't understand what's going on and it can cause a lot of hurt inside of you. And God wants to see his people healed, wants to see his children healed. But God did a beautiful thing. He, he, he gave beauty for ashes. He gave a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm not just quoting scriptures to quote them. I'm just saying that, you know, God has a way of taking us through the fire. Uh, even when the enemy is doing every, everything he can to destroy our lives. And even when we've done things ourselves to destroy our life, God takes that and he turns us into pure gold. And so here we are today. And, uh, and uh, I, that's why I think in the beginning, I said where God, part of my mission in life is to be a, in uh, passion in life and ministry in life is to be a good husband because wow. I, I, I know how to do public ministry, but I didn't know how to deal with the emotions of a wife and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know, how, you know, I, I, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's easy. I shouldn't say it's easy, but <clears throat> in, in some ways when you've done it a long time, it's easy to stand on stage and says what thus saith the Lord, because it's, it's what God says is not so much what I say. Sure. But, when you're, but when you're in a relationship with other people and they have their own backstory and they have their own triggers and they have their own experiences, which are totally different than yours, totally yeah. different than yours. You know, Joy grew up in the in Canada in, in mostly in more uh, suburban country areas. I am straight out of the hood, straight from the city. <laughs> sure. you know, uh, 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 you know, and so not only do we have some cultural things, 
we had some uh, uh, from she 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 worked in Haiti, working with you know people who are who who were struggling in certain areas. Meanwhile, I'm traveling and I'm in in, in big stages and limousines and and I and even when we came together, it was a major major uh, uh, a struggle because Joy didn't see how wonderful I was. She just didn't see it. <laughs> and so, she didn't so, praise you like the crowds did, right? What is wrong with her? What is wrong with her? But anyway, but you know, that's why, that's why I'm saying when I speak to other people who are in ministry and leaders now, you know, it's easy to, 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 to in some ways to do ministry because there's a certain amount of shine with it. And I'm not saying that with every ministry. I know in what I did by making records and stuff, people think, and because you've been on Christian television, people tend to think that you are the example to follow in life. And, um, and, and they see sometimes they elevate people who they see in a public arena, they elevate them higher than themselves. Right. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, we, we, we all come from clay. And I think those that need to be elevated, if, if there is such a thing, are people who have been through the fire and who can look back and tell people, you know, hey, there's a different path. You don't have to go that way. Uh, that's why the Bible said, uh, I think it was it was it Paul that said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Here's, here's a man who has who's dedicated his life to something and he's been through something. So he has something yeah. to share, not just somebody who has a, 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 a place on the stage, but someone who has the wounds uh, in, in their hands, like Jesus did. You know, wow. Thomas said, if, if you're really the Christ, see, I don't I don't put down Thomas. I, I like a guy like Thomas. He's analytical. <laughs> he said, you're sure, the Christ. Sure. You're the Christ. Let me see your scars. Okay, we can talk now, you know. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so that's kind of where we are. Now. I try to crunch it all together. No, but it's, 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 been a, it's been an incredible journey and, a, and one of learning. And I'm a student. I'm a lifelong student and still learning. And, wow. uh, and I'm grateful to God for that. Oh, that's so great. And, and I think one of the, the great... I think it's one of the things that distinguishes good leaders from great leaders is is great leaders never stop learning. They yeah. they never arrive. They never think they've arrived, and and so I always tell the leaders I'm you know coaching and mentoring and pouring into never stop asking great questions. Yeah. I I think leadership is not about having all the answers. It's about remaining in a state of always questioning everything asking great questions your entire life and you'll never stop mm -hmm. learning and growing um so great each of you powerful stories um bring us up to speed because you guys obviously met at some point in the journey and you've talked even alvin you've shared a little bit about what life has like been after meeting and and making life work um and being a great husband but take us back to that moment, how you guys were introduced, because, you know, we've talked about joy and, you know, suburban Canada and living in places like Restool, Ontario. And then you grew up in the hood. Like, how did the two of you ever cross paths? Like, tell us. We're all dying to know how you guys it's, met. It's a long story. So you can cut us off at any time. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you start. Okay. Well, after I went through divorce, I wanted at least one year with God. I wanted to go back and um, experience finding out who I am, who God is, just having that relationship with God that I really just just him and I. That's all I sure. wanted. Sure. But I knew that from the time I was a little girl, I always wanted to be. That's really what my whole passion was in life. 
to fall in love and get married and have a mm -hmm. husband and experience life together and just be in love. Sure. So I knew that I wanted that. Um, that was on my bucket list for sure. So I remember I was speaking at this, um, I was at um, my parents' house and there were some tent meetings going on like a summer camp. And they had asked me this, the person who, who was putting it on asked me to come and speak on missions. I was still doing Haiti at the time. Sure. So I went to this um, week long thing, but um, so this this is a long story, so bear with me. It's all right. We got time. <laughs> if we need to make this a, a, a two-part series, then okay. we'll do it. We'll do okay. It. So I was speaking at this meeting, and I was at my parents' for that week. And I remember it had been um, a year that I had been on my own. And I remember one night after the meeting, I was at my parents'. We were having tea after the meeting and a bedtime snack. And I was sitting on the floor talking to my mom and dad and we I was just saying how I don't know at my age how I would find a husband I didn't even know where to look I felt like my best years were gone I was starting to get wrinkles and you know hair falling out stuff like that you just don't feel like you felt when sure, you were in your sure. 20s 30s so I felt kind of like life had passed me by I would not know even where to look for a husband and I also remember sitting on the floor and my dad was in his rocking chair and I was crying and I said, but even if I found somebody, how would I trust them? How would I trust them? And my dad looked at me and he just said, Joy, you're just, you'll just know, you'll just know. I believe you'll just know. But I didn't believe that. I didn't know how to believe that. Sure. How would when I had messed up so much in my life and made so many mistakes, how would I be able to even know that this is the right decision? So anyway, that week, my daughter, Julie, and her husband, every year in Hamilton or Mississauga, there was a summer um, camp meeting type thing, event that would go on and their church hosted it. Okay. So Julie and Borth were both working for this ministry and every year they would help um, organize the speakers and the, the mus musicians that would come in and all of that. Sure. I guess every year for one night, they would bring Alvin in and had been doing that, what, for seven years? So Julie knew, Julie and Borth knew Alvin. Um, I had never, you won't believe this, I had never heard of him in my entire life. She was oh, very come sheltered. on. Sheltered. No, I hadn't. I am not <laughs> so a sheltered. I'm weird. I don't follow pop culture. If I hear a song, I don't want to know who sang it. I just want to hear the song. If I know who sang it, it's like they get in the way of the song. <laughs> so this is why you really didn't know where to look for a husband. You had never heard of ChristianMingle.com or anything like that. <laughs> right. So I, I was, I'm just different. My, my whole world was Haiti. Sure. And they were, like, it was just different. I was dealing with extreme poverty. I wasn't interested in all this other stuff. So I had never heard of him in my life. Meanwhile, I guess my kids were all listening to him and stuff like that. Right. And I guess you were probably too had heard of him before oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. So 
Um, Julie days. Come on. It's a staple. (laughs) (laughs) So Julie called me. Well, actually I knew that on the Friday night, she had just had her first baby, Joshua, and he was four months old. She said, mom, if you could come on the Friday night, just to look after Joshua, that would really be a help to me because I have to do a lot of photographs of the service. And I have a lot to do that night. So I'm like, okay. But then she called and she said, it would really be nice if you could come on the Thursday night. We're having a special um, singer come in and you might really enjoy, enjoy the service. And I'm like, well, mom and dad really want me to stay and you don't need me till Friday night. So I'm not really going to go. Right. But there was this, I kid you not, the same feeling I had when I was, when God called me to go to Haiti and this fire was like inside of me, like, I can't get this off my mind. I have to, I have mm. to, or I'm going to regret it. Yeah. I had the same feeling. It, it was like a compelling, you have to go help Julie on Thursday night. You have to. And mom and dad kept saying, well, why do you have to leave a day early? Why? Right. And I'd be like, okay, I'll stay. But I'm telling you, Thursday morning came, I got up, I said, I have to go. I just, I just have to go. I'm going to go. Julie needs help. Even though she really didn't, it didn't make sense. So I got in my car and I drove and I went to the service that night. I was sitting in the front row and Julie, I was holding Joshua, the baby, and he started to fuss. And when he started to fuss, I guess they called Alvin up to sing and so my, this is my first grandson. I had a granddaughter, but this was my first grandson. And my eyes were on this baby. Sure. You know, I was so excited. Yeah. He started to cry. Alvin got up to sing, I guess, two songs. And I took the baby to the back. Never really heard him sing. And I put Joshua to sleep. And then I stayed at the back. Well, at the end of the service, Julie came up to me and she said, um, I really want, I've known Brother Slaughter for years. I'd really like to, to show Joshua, um, to introduce him to Joshua, my first baby. So I went to hand her Joshua and she said, no, come on with me, mom, come. So I went with her. Yeah. I went up and I'm holding Joshua. And of course, Julie introduces us. And I said, hi, yeah. and Julie, I guess Julie had told him I was a missionary or something. So he asked about missions okay. and um, I, I did have a card on me. I've given tons of cards out. And, you know, it's just a card. Half the people don't ever call you back. So I gave him my card because he said maybe he could do a big fundraiser for me sometime, which I never did fundraisers. Other people did them. It wasn't what I did. They just sent me the money. So so anyway, I gave him my card. And um, then there was a whole pile of people waiting for his autograph and to get hugs and stuff. So he said, could you just give me a minute and wait for me? Would, would you wait for me? And I'm like, yeah. So he went on and autographed all these people, CDs and stuff, and was given hugs and stuff. And then um, at the end, he said, it was very nice meeting you. And um, he said, could I give you a hug? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, no big deal. He hugged no everybody. No big deal. Well, yeah. <laughs> this was pre-COVID. I mean, no big deal. <laughs> no. <laughs> So Julie was standing there and his son was standing there and kind of probably annoyed that you were talking to me. I don't know. So finally I left I, and I went home that night 
and not thinking anything at all, like nothing. And so there was nothing magical that happened with nothing. the hug. You didn't feel nothing. anything. Okay. Nothing. Just checking. Just I checking. kind of felt like an idiot, to be honest, because <laughs> I'm like, like he's going to do a fundraiser for me. Like, and yeah. I, I really didn't know anything about him, to be honest. I really didn't. I never saw him on the internet sure. um, or anything. So, but I guess months before I had forgotten Julie had, um, she was on his Facebook and she wanted me, I was building a Facebook for Haiti at the time. She wanted me to friend request him because he had asked about missions and he had supported missions. Okay. So I guess I sent him a Facebook friend request, not even thinking of it, but he never, ever accepted it. So, <laughs> ouch. Which, very, well, I I'm didn't care. I'm I didn't very... care. I didn't care. I don't know. <laughs> so, just accept any body. I got to, you know, do a throwback. Yeah. So I go home. And I'm getting ready for bed and everything. And midnight, I see I get a Facebook message. And it was him. He said, it was very nice meeting you tonight. Um, there, If you ever go to Haiti sometime and it works out, I'd love to go on a trip with you to Haiti. And I am a responder. So I'm trying to change that. But every time somebody writes me, I always have the last say. So I respond. Because I don't <laughs> okay. want people to think I'm mad at them. So sure, I sure. always have to have the last say, I want them to know I got your message and I'm responding. So I, I just responded the next day he responded back. So I responded back again, cause I'm the responder. <laughs> and then he responded again and we've been responding for nine years. <laughs> there it is. So <laughs> you know wow. what, really happened? What, what really happened was that oh. she was on the autograph line and she kept jumping the line. I said, young lady, please get to the back of the line. Please. <laughs> wait your turn. Oh. Wait, your, wait your turn, young lady. So let me say this, because I don't know where <laughs> we're going with this conversation. But I do remember there was a point um, where I felt like something was changing. And a year before, my sister Brenda, she gets a lot of prophetic words and stuff. She said, Joy, I believe God showed me you're going to be married again. And I believe he showed me how you're going to meet your husband. But I can't tell you that. I thought that's a no brainer. I'm going to meet him on a mission trip. Of course, that sure. probably is the only place I would meet someone. Right. So there was one point I was getting scared and thought, is this turning into something more than just um, conversation on Facebook? So when I got to that point and I felt like um, he was getting a little friendlier with me, I called my sister and I didn't tell her anything, but I said, Brenda, I really need to know. I'm really scared. And there's someone in my life and I don't know, but I need to know how God showed you I would meet my husband. I have to know. And I was almost crying. And she said, mm, it's kind of soon to tell you that I can't. I said, you have to. I have to know. <laughs> you have to. You're telling me. And she said, okay. And she, I said, how did God show you? And she said, he gave me these two words through Julie. Wow. That's all he had said to her. It would be wow. through Julie. Hello. It's, it's interesting because when I when I say Joy, I mean I I had no plans of getting married. Uh, you didn't. You just again. wanted to live with me. 
Well, I, I, want, I want to see if it'll work for 20 years. And then after that, we get married. Um, no, no, I don't play good. No, I, I, my, my desire at the time was to keep building ministry. You know, you know keep, that's, that's, that was my, my success in life. And you go where your success is. Sure. And I played, but it was the most, you know, I'd been all over the world. I had sung in so many different places. Um, and when I saw her on the left side, on the front row, she sit next to this guy. I thought that was her guy. I'm like, oh, why is she sitting with him? You know, tell him what you really said. <laughs> okay. When I said, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm a big guy. So if you're listening, you may not be able to see this, but I'm a, I'm a really big guy. I'm like three times my wife's size. And she was sitting next to this this other big guy, and I'm like, "Why'd you sit next to that big guy for?" You know, she. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I I believe, and this is the, I I'll say it. This is years later now, what, eleven years later or whatever. Um, I fell in love with her immediately. Hmm. I, uh, you know, it was amazing because the night before I had saw that friend request on Facebook, and I and I which yeah, I had sent months, and I had never seen it before. Right. And I accepted right. it. Then I wow. saw that you were Julie's mom in, uh, in, you know, and she had mentioned about her mother being a missionary in Haiti. And then I saw pictures of you in Haiti and, and that kind of thing. And I, I was impressed with your work. Uh, the thing that I noticed though, is that she didn't dress like a missionary. You know, she, she you know. Uh, oh, no. we've just defended some global workers. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No offense yeah, to missionaries, yeah, but she wore like 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 heels and skirt and stuff. And I'm not saying missionaries don't wear heels and skirts. I'm just saying that you don't have to backtrack. It's all good. I know what you're saying. Yeah, you said and, uh, we could edit things. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. And, cool. um, and uh, or you can leave it in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and and I I remember saying to uh, to Julie that night before I before I met Joy, uh, Julie was at the at the book table, you know, for the ministry that she was helping out. And I said, hey, I just saw your mother on um, Facebook last night. So I said, uh, so she said, oh, yeah. So I said, wow, she, she really dresses fancy to, you know, to be, in, in a, be, be, in a, be a missionary. And she said, that's my mom. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. And I didn't realize, I don't know if I realized that that was you on that front. I just knew that you were the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it was, it was more, yes, it's beauty on the outside, but there was also something else. I felt right. this amazing something. Well, and you told me that you saw like a light around me. Well, I don't I, know if he was lying, giving me a line. <laughs> it's a it good pickup line. No. <laughs> it was like he saw a line around, a like light. a no, light around me, it, like it I stood see. out. Yeah, and it, it was did. like, it was like you were the only I was one the room. only one in the room. Yeah, mm. it, 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 it was like that. And, um, and then we just began to write. And I don't think I saw you again for another. It was 10 months or almost a year. A year. It was wow. almost a year before I, before I saw wow. you again. Yeah. But, you know, we just. We and just, then just I was like, why didn't I pay more attention to how tall he is? What do you <laughs> I had no idea. I'm like, I'm talking to this person for almost a year and I don't even know. Those 15 minutes I met him, I should have paid more attention. Yeah. So we, we, we became great friends and great connectors. We shared a lot of our own journeys of life and, and hurts and mistakes and victories and all those kind of sure. things. And uh, so by the time I, I was almost afraid to meet her in person because I, I thought I might let her down. You know, <laughs> right. it's, it's one thing. It's been happen. online so far. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a scam. Yeah. Yeah. Online scam. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, so so uh, and and here we are now, years later, and it's been probably the greatest thing of our life. But it was it was a struggle first after we got married and Joy came on the road. Jeremy uh, didn't ask that question. Oh, oh no, that's, that's good. Yeah, I was just gonna say. So you guys do end up getting married, uh -huh. and so talk to us a little bit about what that was like because again, you have two totally different. I mean, many similarities in some ways, but yet completely different in others, and so. This is the second time for both of you in the married life. And so talk to us a little bit about what it was like early on and, uh, and some of the ups, the downs of, of that. Well, when we first started dating and stuff, you would think at our age, we'd be mature. <laughs> we were probably more immature than the young people dating now. Like we were so googly because we'd wanted this all of our life to be sure, like, sure have these feelings and everything. And yep. our kids probably thought we were really stupid. Like we were connecting on, you eat almonds? I eat almonds every day too. <laughs> you use sure deodorant? So do I. You breathe? Oh, so do I. That's amazing. And we use the same color of hair dye. We couldn't believe that. Hey, I don't use hair dye. We had, <laughs> Uh-oh, edit that out. Edit. <laughs> we had all these crazy things in common. Then when you put us together, and that uh, that romance stage starts ending, and now you come sure. into trying to become one. We were so opposite. <laughs> we didn't know how opposite we were. Sure. And um, so we got married, what, on a Wednesday? Yeah. We didn't go on a honeymoon. We started traveling the next day. We did two concerts back to back. And the first year of our marriage, I was on 300 airplanes. Wow. My entire wow. life changed. We were going to Africa. I, so my whole life transitioned and transition can be good, but even sure. if it's good, it's hard. Yeah. It doesn't mean a new baby is wonderful, but it's hard. Yep. So I went from living in Canada, moving to the U S um, retiring from Haiti because you know, the whole vision of Haiti all those years to, was to make them more self-supportive, give them the sure. resources, buildings they needed. And God transitioned that. And I was back in 2020, they were still running everything and doing an excellent job in leadership, bringing their own teams in and stuff. But sure. um, so I left Haiti that I'd known for 18 years, moved to the US, changed my last name, um, went from dealing with poverty to people who were I was in relationship with almost like family, um, seeing my grandkids all the time and my family and being at every holiday celebration to now being away traveling right. and missing all these celebrations. My, I have a brand new name. I'm on airplanes instead of dealing with poverty. Now I'm being picked up in limos, uh, flying first class to Africa and all these countries, meeting people mm. for 10 minutes, never seeing them again, no relationships built. Right. And, um, and that was wonderful. And people <laughs> knowing him, hey, <laughs> people knowing him and loving him. You know, they they thought they knew him because they saw him on TV and everything, but he sure. had never always met them. Right. But they it was his world. So they worshiped the ground he walked on. 
So when we'd go to Africa, for example, they just worshipped the ground he walked on. They would run up, open his limousine door, help him get out, grab his bags. I'd be on the other side, get my own door, grab my own luggage. Um, They'd want a picture with him and ask me to step out of the picture. Um, I went through... I'm ranting here now, it sounds like, right? It's all good. This is your story. This is what we want to know. The knit, What's it really like? I went through so much rejection. And now also, um, I'm crowding his space. People didn't know me. They didn't want to get to know me. Women would run up and I'd think, oh, someone's coming to talk to me. And they'd run right. up and say, I came to get a hug from your husband. But they wouldn't wow. even shake my hand. So... Those were tough times because as much as he was celebrated to the degree he was being celebrated, I was being rejected. I even remember going and for all different reasons. Some of it was I was a new wife. Some of it was that nobody wanted me in his space because they used to have all his attention and time. And now I got some of that. Um, We went to one church three times. And three times we went to that hotel room and every time I think it's going to get better. And every time the fruit basket said, and there was a letter, welcome minister Alvin Slaughter, but not my name on it. And I'm like, can Mm. they just say my name? Just my name, please. (laughs) So there was a lot of things. We got a few nasty things about us being an interracial couple. Um, There were, and yet there were good people out there too that I have to say in between for every five bad times, I'd find one good time that I could, uh, but it it was hard. And I was physically exhausted all the time, all the time. Elvin, what, what were you, did you notice this going on? Like, did you have conversations about it? Like you get back to the hotel room, like talk to me from your perspective, like what were you seeing in joy, your new wife and you're, you've taken her on the road now. Like, what was that like for you? That was the best question ever. Did you, <laughs> did you notice? <laughs> it, it, it became, you know, here's a woman that I've, I'd never been in love before. Right. This is a woman that I loved. And this was a ministry that I loved. Sure. And I couldn't understand uh, why she was, she was, she was having panic attacks, um, she felt left out. I couldn't understand why she why she was feel that way. Right. And I'll tell you why, because you know, you only live within the scope of who you are. Yeah. And you know, uh, when I was on the road, uh, I had my music director with me. My son was my audio engineer, that kind of thing. And this is what I did for thirty years. And I I felt that you know I'm not flirting with women. You know, if people come up to you, they want your autograph or that kind of thing. I always, I always want to be known as someone who's kind because I, sure. I, I see stories about people who were singers or whatever it is, and they were one one way on stage, but off right. stage. Yeah. Yeah. So when Joy was walking through all this, I think the problem was we didn't have the verbiage to say to each other what we needed to say. We hmm. thought that the other person should automatically understand. So I think that she thought, and we've talked about this. So this is sure, yeah. This is not the first time you're talking. Oh, <laughs> coming out here on the podcast. Oh, we worked it. I'll tell you, we worked it, man. 
Um, so she thought that I should have understood that I'm her wife. She felt- No, you're I, my husband. I mean, the, yeah, that you're my wife. Yeah, she, she thought that I should have protected her. She thought that I should have spoken up more when people, you know, tried to come out. Right. And I thought that she would have loved the fact that we're traveling around the world. Right. We're staying in the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, we had been to Africa 13 times in the first 16 years, first six years, six years. <laughs> two or three. Right. Three years. It doesn't matter. We had been 13 times. Well, we had been 13 times. Yeah. Right. Uh, we, we were traveling first class. I mean, they would fly us over to, there was a guy who's an oil billionaire. Uh, they flew us over. They, they waited for the last minute to fly us over for, to surprise for his uh, birthday party. Flew over, did two songs or something like that. Paid us a lot of money. Um, and I thought that she would love this, sure. you know, this, love this lifestyle. And she can just sit and relax. She doesn't have to do anything. She right. doesn't have to speak. She does, but that's not in her DNA. Her DNA is to want to be able to love people and build relationship. So her world was building relationship. My world was I go to a church to sing. I may not go there again for another two or three years. Right. I may never go back there ever again. Yeah. So mine was not about building relationship. Mine was about singing, being uh, from afar, and then keep it moving. Hers was being in the trenches and building. So I didn't understand all the pain she was going through. Hmm. And I went on a journey personally. of I studied everything I could about relationships because I could not understand her. I just didn't understand why she thought it was so bad. Sometimes I'd go to the hotel room and uh, she'd be in the computer looking at pictures of times when, you know, from, from the people that she had been with in Haiti. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, we're... We're traveling the world. People would love to travel. People would love to, you know, I, I have all the responsibility. You don't have to get on stage if you don't want. And I tried to bring her on stage. And she thought at times that she didn't do a great job. She did an amazing job. But you do have people who are, uh, uh, like when we went to Africa, a lot of these guys in Africa who brought me in, when I did my God Can album back in like 1995, a lot of them were young boys. Right. And now a lot of them are bishops. You know, everybody's got a title and archbishops. And so they were very enamored with me because I was part of their musical DNA when they were teenagers. And now they passed the large churches. Hmm. Or because I sang with Benny Hinn or did stuff for T.D. Jakes or I did a Hill song, whatever it is. Right. People saw me in those environments. Uh, there's a tendency of making celebrity, yeah. which I didn't realize that because I never saw myself as a celebrity. I just saw myself as a regular guy because, again, I don't read music. I don't, you know, uh, I'm just a guy that for all intents and purposes, quote unquote, I got lucky. And um, uh, so I didn't see it, but she can look on the outside. So we went on a journey. We, we studied a whole thing together with marriage for a year. Um, I studied, even to this day, I don't do it every day anymore, but for years, every single day, I would, uh, there's a guy, Jimmy Evans, who did has a marriage ministry. He's a pastor in Texas. I'd look at this stuff. There's, I would look at secular books on marriage because I wanted to know what I was doing wrong. And I'll tell you, the one of the biggest changes for me uh, was because I, I still didn't understand her. And there are times I had resentment that was going on the inside because right. the enemy was speaking to me. And and I and I thought he, I thought he was saying that, well, she thinks her ministry is better than yours because she deals with poor people. And just because I deal with people who are not as poor, all of a sudden her, you know, all these little things yeah. that mention, the enemy tries to stir up. For sure. And I read this book uh, by a couple. I, I'm not even sure how I got a hold of the book, but I read this book and the book was about validation. 
And I never heard of the word validation when it turned in terms of relationships. And the book basically said that you don't have to agree with a person, but you have to listen and they want to know that they're being heard. And so I read the book and I, I almost threw the book down because my perception of what was going on on the road was different than her perception. And I thought, well, maybe she's just oversensitive. Maybe she's just too nice. Maybe right. she, you know, and, uh, uh, and when I read the book, what it said in essence was this, is that in order for a person to take you into their confidence, they need to feel heard. So wow. you don't have to agree with them, but just make sure that they feel, they feel heard. So when Joy would say things, and this was hard for me to do because yeah. in my previous, previous relationship, we were arguers and fighters, you know? Right. Um, and now I'm with a woman who has a gentle spirit and who is, who, who, who is not a fighter like that. She's not a contentious, contentious woman. So I had to learn how to listen to what she had to say. And, um, uh, and I think that that gave us, uh, I don't know, you could tell it better than I can. I, I think it changed, it changed the temperature and the direction of our relationship. Because I right. think the way it was, I'm not, I don't think we would have gotten divorced, but I think we would have been like a lot of couples who live in the same house, but have different, uh, you know, different things that they do. And Sure. And our communication styles, because he came from a family where they can be very loud Mm-hmm. And it can sound like they're fighting, but they're really not. They're fine. I came from a family where I never heard my mother ever raise her voice at me, right. ever. Mm-hmm. I never did. I never heard her stand really up to my father. Right. So our, our communication styles were so different. I always felt like he's yelling at me all the time. But really, that was his communication style. Uh, yeah, and I felt like I was just passionate, you know. <laughs> he's passionate. I'm like, and he fought like an attorney. And yeah. I can't think on the spot. I'm not, a, I don't like conflict or yeah. confrontation. Yeah. So I can't think. Give me time to think. Right. And I can, I can talk. But if I'm um, caught in that, my mind goes blank. So that, that's a very so, important thing that yeah. needs to be brought out. I, I fought like an attorney, which means that, which means I lay down all the facts you lay down all of your facts. And if my <laughs> facts outweigh your facts, right. I just won. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I dealt with I never this. won. I never won. Because <laughs> I had all the facts. He had all the facts and he always right. said, I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. And that's <laughs> I was joking. Well, kind of sort of. Well, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, that's so truthful. And uh, I think that's the stuff that... Uh, You've probably heard it before. You know, we lead from our strengths, but we really connect with other people from our weaknesses. Yes, we do. And and so this is why this conversation, I think, resonates with so many ministry couples out there is because I think we can all identify. I mean, you're saying stuff here and I'm thinking of my own marriage and relationship with my wife and how we interact and how, you know, we like to call them passionate discussions, you know, um, <laughs> that we might have, you know, with, with each other. Not that those ever happen, but if we were to have one, that's what we'd call it. Um, but this is this is so real and and so honest and and this is what I appreciate so much and we're we're running out of time here today but before we before we close off because this has been so good and I want to thank you guys for doing this but maybe talk to us just about maybe from each of you what's the biggest thing 
Um, it, recognizing again that we've got we've got young leaders, we've got older leaders, seasoned leaders, but many of them married, and we've got a few singles too that would be listening to this. But what's the biggest thing you'd want to say to again a, a, a couple that's in leadership in terms of their marriage? And maybe it's something you've already shared. Or you can say it again. But what's the from each of you because you mo. Maybe it's the same thing for both of you, but what's the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing you'd say to a ministry couple uh, about, you know, marriage health, putting, you know, investing in their marriage? What would, you, what would be your takeaway? Maybe we'll start with Joy. I know I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, but. Um, I think to be, I don't know. I don't know if this is true or not. I just think for us, this is for us personally, I believe our ministry and ministries flow out of our love for each other. Hmm. Um, we had been given that word a couple of times and we have to make sure, I mean, God can use you at any state you're in. He sure, used me in my sure. depression and my worst seasons, yep. but I believe in this season for us, I believe, um, I believe I could have even been more effective probably God used me and I was effective, but I think I could be more effective if I um, had a strong foundation at home, because that's your foundation. That's where you go to get strength. That's where um, you go to get refreshed. And if you are not getting that in your own space, then you're going to run out of gas. And I ran out of gas many times. My tank often became empty uh, because I didn't have that. And I'm very grateful. I don't take Alvin for granted. Um, every marriage has hard times, good times, but we're doing life together. And we both know what each other's requirements are, what each other's wants are, and what mm. each other's needs are. And as long as we're both trying to meet those for each other, you know, um, we're going to keep doing life together and enjoying this journey, whether it's tough or through the good times and the bad times, you know? Um, right. But I really am so happy for a firm, solid foundation at home where I feel after I've come out from helping other people and giving people hope and all that, I can come back here and this is where I feel safe. Hmm. I have to feel safe at home. Right. Yeah, that's good. Alvin, what about you? I think one of the things that I want to add to that, which I think every leader I would love, if I could, if every leader that's listening could hear this, in 2016, we both came off the road. It, it was so overwhelming for both of us uh, because we came from these two different backgrounds and all the things that we had to deal with on the road. 2016, uh, Joy decided I'm not going to travel anymore. And... Um, and she went and she got a job and I stopped traveling and I went and got a job. I hadn't had a job in 28 years hmm. <laughs> other than traveling around the world. Right. And, uh, uh, you were traveling still. I, yeah, I was, I was, I was still, still going out. Traveling, yeah, I was, I was still traveling some, I just was done. Yeah. I was, it was affecting my health too yeah. much. Right. And, if, and I'll tell you what, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened. What I'm saying is this, is that sometimes you have to seemingly take two steps back to make four steps forward. Wow. And a lot of people in my shoes, you know, I, at this point, I've known a lot of people in ministry and you know what, 
we have, it, 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 it rains on us just like it rains on unbelievers. It's, the sun shines on unbelievers just like it shines on, un, on, uh, on believers. Um, I am not married to ministry. I'm married mm -hmm. to joy. And sometimes God has to totally change things so that you can now build something together. She built Haiti. I built the music ministry. You know, God did it through us. Yeah, yeah. Now we give God a clean slate. Now, God, whatever you want to do through us, whether it's to encourage marriage, married couples, whether it's for me talking to men or joy, or, or joy talking to women or whoever it is. I'm not trying to recreate what once was. Right. Uh, I, I, I could care less about traveling around the world. If I never see it on a plane, it'll be too soon. Um, Joy is not trying to lead a, 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 a mission uh, anymore. If God wants that, that's that's sure. wonderful. Sure. But what's even more exciting now at our, at our season of life um, is that the world has changed so drastically in the last couple of years here, here in the U.S., you know, we had race riots and we had, and then around the world, you had the, the, the pandemic and all those kind of things. Um, there's, there's new wine, there's new wineskins. And if God wants to use us in total different ways that we don't even know what they are, right. we're so open for that. I am an open book. We are both open mm -hmm. books. We are not mm -hmm. asking God, you know, God, I want to go back and travel. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll do some of that. I don't want to do a lot of it, to be honest with you. Sure. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, like people will write me and say, are you going to make a, a record again? I don't even think about it, you know, or recording, let's call it recording. Right. If, if, if it happens again, wonderful. If it doesn't happen, wonderful. Um, I just know that this is the woman I love. She is my ministry. And however God mm. wants to use us in this season and the season to come, even if it's not in a public uh, venue, even if it's to be an example to our children and our children's children, that we are overcomers. That way we're leaving an inheritance to our children and our children's Good. children. Good. And that inheritance is what the devil meant for bad, yeah. God can turn around to good. Come on. So good. Well, what a place to uh, to cap this, this conversation off, which has been so good. I want to ask you one final question. I love to ask anyone, any guest I get on the podcast, but what do you guys do? Everyone wants to know this, by the way. What does Joy and Elvin do for fun? We don't do anything big. We don't. That's okay. Do it doesn't great. matter. It might okay. not be big to you, but maybe somebody listening it is. What do you do yeah. for fun? We we go for drives because he loves drives, and I do too. And I love drinking coffee, so he picks up a coffee. We go for coffee and drives. Mm. Um, we go look at the water. We like to just relax together, like and just um, live. You know, we really like to live in the moment. We don't do anything big and exciting. Well, we, 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 we've done the big and exciting and we're not putting sure. them on. We've done the, we, I think because in this season of life, you know, I, we're tired. I, yeah. Sure. I, mean, I, I got, I, I joined, I, when Joy and I got married, I was in my, in my, in my fifties or in mid fifties already. Right. So right. I had experienced everything that needed to be experienced and Joy is not looking to travel to Spain or travel. I think we just want to be people that love each other and love those that God places in our path. So even when it comes to eating out, we don't we don't really eat out that much anymore. Joy has been a great cook. I've I've lost weight, um, and uh, I'm not trying to do big things because I was a big guy doing big things. Now, right, right, right. I just want to do things that uh, that we can enjoy life. Good. And uh, and, and uh, again, we're we, we I think we were talking about this earlier today. I mean, it I don't have any 
I don't have a list of things that I'm saying, God, this is what I want you to do. I think God, mm -hmm. God never does anything more. Uh, and and I've, I used to hear people say this when I was younger. And I'm like, yeah, right. Because I had all these, I was so driven. Hmm. And I, I, I'm not saying I'm not driven now, but if it's not anything that I feel passionate about, I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my wife. Yeah. Um, if if I'm, I'm not going to create new things to try to be passionate about. And if, if God brings something that's that's wonderful and we just enjoy being together. Yeah. Not all the time. <laughs> but we Still do enjoy space. being no, together. I hear you. <laughs> I was uh... it's gonna be good as long as she keeps laughing at my jokes. But when, oh, that's moment, what we do. The moment we constantly tease each other. Yeah. And we sit here and laugh at each other's jokes. So <laughs> I always am trying to one up his jokes and, and he's trying to one up mine. And I sing to yeah. her in falsetto and she hates it. So that's like <laughs> that's why I keep yeah. doing it. So you are still singing. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> oh, that's that's so good. I I it totally resonates with me what you're saying. Even even the ambition, the drive. I was telling a group of of leaders yesterday at our conference that we, you know, God is really my personal journey. He's the last 10, 10 years or so has been a journey of him gradually killing so many different things in my yeah. life. Yeah. And if you were to ask me 10 years, what do you want? I want to do great and mighty things for God. I had this passion, this drive, this ambition, so driven to do great and mighty things for God, which seems noble. It seems, well, that's mm -hmm. a pure motivation. But the more I've realized as those things have been killed off, I've realized there's still way too much of me in that. Yeah. And now my response is totally different. After the painful process of one by one killing these things, I now just want to do things. Wow. Yeah, wow. For my great and mighty God. See, mm -hmm. that's completely different than wanting to do great and mighty things for God because the great and mighty is about me. Now I just want to do things, whatever that is. Yeah. Wow. It's just no, like you said. That's fascinating wow. that you're saying that because we're, we're different generations. I'm in my 60s. Hmm. Um, and you would think that only people in their 60s would say that type of thing. Because at one time I thought it was because of my age. I even said to Joy one time, you think maybe God's going to take me home because I don't have that drive like I have. Right, right. But it's interesting you say that because to me, it's one thing about drive is that, yes, it can be I want to do great and mighty things for God. But the part of that is that you can also, like you said, you can also seem great and mighty while you're doing those things yeah, for God. Yeah. You know, there can be a lot of applause and a lot of sample I, yeah. that come along with that. So it's interesting to hear you hear hear you say that. I think if there's anything that leaders need to hold on to is what is our motivation for the things that we want That's to do. Right. That's right. So good. Amen. Well, guys, I can't I can't thank you enough for doing this. I know this will be so meaningful when this airs to to our listeners and uh I want to thank you once again for being a part of this podcast and investing in the leaders that are listening to this. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Wow, what a powerful, powerful story. And I just encourage you today, if you've been listening to this and this has touched your heart in some meaningful way, go ahead and share it. Share it on your social media or maybe personally invite somebody to check this out, listen to that you know it would speak to them just as it has you today. Well, that's another wrap, another episode. I want to thank you again for listening and go ahead and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. It just makes sure that you'll never miss an episode of the Leadership Matters podcast. But until next time, remember, your leadership really does matter. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.